0: We are obviously right in the middle of this whole revolution. We are the sellers of the picks and shovels that make it all possible. Um, You know, we're not writing the algorithms that our customers are doing that. You cannot rely on the AI making the final decision. We need to ensure that it's the humans that develop it, the humans that apply it and use it. They are the ones who ultimately need to be regulated we need to make sure that we put in place the right types of regulation and controls, but I don't think we can rely on our governments who don't have the technical skills to be able to do that.
1: From the first time founders to the funds that back them, innovation needs different. Our episode partner, HSBC Innovation Banking, is proud to accelerate growth for tech and life science businesses, creating meaningful connections and opening up a world of opportunity for entrepreneurs and investors alike. Discover more at www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com slash en gb. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the movers and shakers of the UK tech industry and the destination for all things UK tech related. And this week, I'm joined by Nigel Toon, the co-founder and CEO of Graphcore, a firm that has built a new type of processor to accelerate machine learning and AI applications. Welcome, Nigel.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me on.
1: Now, this podcast, Nigel, is going out the day before what has become the hottest party invite in town, the AI Summit, organised by the UK government, taking part at the historic home of code breaking in Bletchley Park. And you are on the guest list. Now, the aim of this summit is to crack a very different type of code, what the implications of the AI revolution will be on society. That's a huge task for a two-day gathering, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think my understanding is that the focus of the event is, number one, to try and define what represents frontier AI models. And number two is to try and come up with some common understanding of ways in which we might ensure that this AI can be kept safe, hence the name the Safety Summit, I guess.
1: Yeah, and we'll dive into some of that a bit later. But actually, it's already proved quite controversial, partly because people feel that there hasn't been a great deal of transparency about what the discussion is going to involve. Some people have claimed that the summit's been rushed out because the UK government wants to score political points by being the first to organise such a global gathering, do you agree that, you know, maybe they should have taken a bit more time over
0: this? I think there's a there would be an argument for that. I think the reality is you know, we need to get this conversation started. And, you know, I think the initiative that the UK government has made is good. Um, I think the key is have we got the right players at this event and are there actually going to be sensible outcomes that come from it? So I sort of reserve judgment at this point to see... what will what will come from this meeting?
1: Yeah, and you mentioned there, you know, that it's all about who's there. We will presumably see representatives from Google, OpenAI, DeepMind. This is being recorded a week before the conference. You know, there could be announcements of others. But again, there's been a bit of controversy, hasn't there? Because some people feel that it's big tech that's been invited rather than startups, that those working in the space of data ethics maybe haven't been invited. And then even when it comes to the world leaders, you know, some have said they're not going. China's invited. So do you feel that it's the right mix of people that have been gathered in Bletchley?
0: Yeah, like you, I haven't seen the final guest list yet to know, you know, everybody who's attending. I know there are some of the AI luminaries who have been invited and are planning to, to go along. Benjo, Demis Osabis, I understand, is going, a few others. So, you know, I think there is a representation from people who understand the technology I think one of the things we've got to be really cautious, and I've said before, is we've got to be very careful of um, AI tech leaders who throw their hands up and say, regulate me, regulate me. Because the risk is that governments are not in a good position to actually do that. And, and they will instantly go back to those same people and ask for them to help them come up with the, uh, the regulation. And, th- and that yeah, could easily result in commercial interests. Um, coming to the fore here, and I, I think that's the big danger we've definitely got to get that balance of all of the stakeholders here you know to understand where we are, what we need to get done, and I think you know that does mean it needs to be a sort of a more diverse group but but unfortunately, probably just because of the complexity of this technology, we do need to have technologists who really understand this, who are willing to step forward and act in the best interests of everybody who's going to use the technology, who can put commercial interest to one side for a second and think, you know, what's best for us all? Because, again, I think if if we can create an environment of trust, that's the way that the right economic outcomes get achieved. If we end up not trusting the technology, which I think is the state today, we risk it being held back or, or being used inappropriately in some way.
1: And you mentioned regulation there and, you know, you don't advocate heavy regulation, which is probably wise, given that in the past attempts to regulate these big tech firms hasn't really gone that well. But what influence would anybody have on decisions that ultimately these big firms are making in the space of AI if there isn't regulation or penalties for their misuse of it?
0: Yeah, so I think you need to look at the ways in which people are impacted you know, that's this is really uh, the key. So I think there's a sort of, a, I, I, I've described a sort of simple framework of what I call AMP. Are people aware that they're dealing with an AI powered system is is probably the first starting point. You know, do we make it clear that you're talking to an AI that, that this is an AI um, that you're working with? The second point is, you know how do issues potentially manifest? You know, is this you know inappropriate persuasion? Is it is there bias potentially? You know, are decisions being made by the AI that will affect you personally? Maybe it's a loan that you're applying for, and the AI is doing a sort of first pass to decide whether you're a suitable candidate. Is that open and clear? And you know how we're making those decisions? Is there a way that you can come back and deal with that? And then you're related to that is how do you protect? the consumers, you know, how do we ensure that people are looked after? And, and the reality is this is complex technology and we need to have a mechanism that allows a feedback loop here that, you know, it it may be, the, the outcomes may be unintended, but when they do go wrong, we need to make sure that there is a way in which people can come back and be looked after and solutions could be improved. You know, these problems can be avoided. And I don't know, the, the airline industry, for example, you know, or medical practitioners, you know, we've been dealing with this for for a very long time. And, you know, there are ways in which this gets done. And it's typically that there are there are regulations, but more importantly, there are independent institutions that actually help to protect us and are steeped in enough knowledge to actually be able to apply protections and then follow up and fix problems after the fact. (laughs) In the unlikely event or unfortunate event that these issues occur.
1: And just with, you know, doctors having the Hippocratic oath. you've said in a blog post that you've written that the guiding principle for AI should be do no harm. But isn't it the fact that, you know, it's already doing harm, the fact that that, that, that these models from OpenAI were perhaps rushed out? I mean, some people advocate the fact that it had run out of training data and needed humans to learn off, which was one of the reasons why ChatGPT was, was, was sort of thrust out on the market uh, this time last year. And then we saw Google kind of rush out BARD because it didn't want to miss out on what was going on with chat GPT. Obviously, longer down the line are the the questions about human jobs. But right now we're seeing these systems spitting out lies, which have been called hallucinations. I guess that's a bit of a, a nicer term than lies. But ultimately, you know, they are lying. And they're making assumptions based on bad data, the potential to spread misinformation. You know, it's not a question of do no harm. It's a question of they're already doing it, isn't
0: it? So the first point, point I think we need to be really clear on this, is it's not the AI that's doing something bad. It is the fact that, you know, the AI is basically takes information, you learn from that information using very powerful computers that the latest semiconductors have allowed us to produce, using a method that has been created by a human. The resulting system is then deployed, again, through some human action for an application such as the um, ChatGPT model. And all of the problems that we see is typically because, as you point out, maybe the data is not sufficient, maybe the method is not sufficient, maybe the way in which it's used is not guarded in enough uh, caveats to sort of say look, you know, beware of the results here. As Alan Turing said, if you expect something to be intelligent, it's going to make mistakes. Um, and I, I think we need to apply that same principle towards AI. I actually think OpenAI did quite a good job with um, ChatGPT in terms of the testing regime that they did put it through in lots of different places and the controls that they built into it. I think it's not well known, but there are reinforcement learning approaches that sit around chat gpt that do quite a good job but you know equally there are lots of very smart people out there who are trying to jailbreak the system and you know get it to tell them bad things there are obviously cases where as you say you know is it lying or is it hallucination well it's not lying because it doesn't know it's making a mistake it's definitely hallucinating and and again, we're sort of surprised in some ways by generative AI, but the results it produces in some ways are not surprising. All it's doing is it's taking a seed and it's generating the most likely words and sequences related to that seed. It's not going to do something, it might go down the wrong path and come up with the wrong answers. But there are ways in which we can build in Systems that look at the results will give you some idea of where the sources are coming from, will give you an idea of the probability of the answer being wrong, you know, and there are people working on those kinds of systems. So so is, did CHEP-GPT come out too quickly? Did BARD come out too quickly? Maybe. But, you know, if it was put out with the appropriate descriptions around it of, you know, be cautious, this thing could lead you astray. And we learn from that and we improve the systems. You know, that's how we make rapid progress. The risk is that we end up in a situation where it's only those companies that are producing these systems. And there is no competition and they become too big too quickly that we don't get the appropriate level of innovation that is going to actually help us and create the right outcomes uh, for people. So
1: so on that question of innovation, because... It does feel like these models, these large language models, in particular, can only be created by big tech companies with very deep pockets. So, what can a sort of separate ecosystem of startups do to compete with with their sort of budgets? Basically, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, some of the things, for example, um, some of the things that Meta has done to make these large language models, the base large language models, open source. I think is a really important step here and then what smaller companies can do is they can take those trained models they can fine tune them and add information to them so that they're better they can add systems around them to make them you know more qualified in terms of the results they can build in descriptions that talk about how the results you know might be leading you astray so you know, I think that is a really important part of how we move forward from here this idea that we close off these models and we you know you just access them through an api that's where there's a big risk um i think the other thing i think that we just need to keep in the back of our mind is that most of these models are learning from information on the internet and as we know from searching the internet that's not always the best um, source of information. Unfortunately, it's the source of digital information. And, and, you know, as I'm sure it's well known, Wikipedia, which is a major source for training these models, I think, what is the number? Over 80% of the editors are white and male and American. You know, that's not necessarily an environment that's going to create the right kind of balance of views. So it's definitely clear that we need to put these systems in more of a constrained environment. We need to use fine-tuning to ensure that they work in more of a constrained environment. The idea that they have general intelligence, I think we need to really push back on at the moment. They don't, they will get things wrong. And we need to make sure that people are aware of that and we understand where they're getting things wrong. And so the use and how you apply these systems is really important as well. And that's down to the people who deliver these systems to put the right recommendations around how they get used. It's also about building knowledge amongst people who are gonna use these environments to understand how they might go wrong um, and, and be aware of that. I think somebody was telling me, I, I don't know the source of this, somebody was saying a legal firm had tried to use ChatGPT in a law case and ended up having a problem you know, as a result of that because the, the ChatGPT got the answers wrong and it caused them an issue in court. So, yeah, I think how you use this this technology, you, know, you, need, to, you need to step a little bit cautiously as well.
1: HSBC Innovation Banking, our partner for this episode, provides commercial banking services, expertise, and insights to the technology, life science, and healthcare, private equity, and venture capital industries. To find out why innovation needs different, go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com/en-gb. I do you see quite a lot of high level discussions around the ethics and the ethical use of this, although I have to say some of it seems very woolly. And even like the ethics committees that these big tech companies have set up, you don't really hear a lot from them, do you, in terms of what they're actually practically doing? I mean, isn't the issue here that, you know, human nature is human nature? And like that lawyer that you mentioned who used ChatGPT to come up with some precedents for the case that he was laying out, They're just a bit lazy, and you know, if 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 an AI is available and they can use it, then they're just going to use it, and they're not necessarily going to go. Well, I better just check all of this is right. yeah, it it, it's got the answer right, isn't that? You know, the, the biggest problem here is human nature, in a way.
0: I think to a degree. So ethics is really linked to values. It's bad ethics are probably a bit like a virus; they'll spread. Good ethics will do the same. So how do we imbue in people the right kinds of ethics? Um, Who are the people we need to influence? Probably the developers of these systems, because they're the ones, just like medical doctors, they're the ones who will be in a position to best protect us and to, you know, shout when something's going wrong. So that is a really important part. I think, as as you've highlighted, you know, when you're using these systems, do you know you're using an AI? Well, I think if you're using ChatGPT, I think you probably do. But do we understand, you know, how issues might manifest in that environment? And I think people generally aren't. So, you know, that needs to be clear as well. And and then people can protect themselves. And then when things do go wrong, there needs to be some level of protection um, that goes around it. And the systems need to be uh, improved as well. And again, that's why we need, you know, a lot of innovation still in this environment. You know, I, I always say the gains that we've seen in AI... Utterly amazing. You know, it's, it's proving itself to be incredible. But the analogy I use is, think of it like a game. We're probably a Pac-Man. It's pretty good. You know it's, it's, you know, it's a nice thing, but we're nowhere near the sort of three-dimensional immersive gaming experiences that people now enjoy. And that's still to come. We need to make sure that we put in place the right types of regulation and controls but I don't think we can rely on our governments who don't have the technical skills and to be able to do that. You know, we will have to outsource some of that regulation to other people, trusted places. And we need to be careful that it doesn't fall into the hands of commercial interests where we could all get led astray.
1: You've described AI as perhaps the most powerful tool that humans have ever invented and advocated for a trusted, independent AI institute that would operate across borders, and help governments work out exactly what we are talking about there, how this stuff is regulated. So who would sit on this board and what would they actually do day to day?
0: So I think it has to be people that really understand the technology, who are part of our social structure and understand, you know, how when this technology gets used. You know, it would need to include some government as well, because we're creating policy here, potentially, um, as part of this. And and it would need to encourage an ecosystem of innovative companies around the edges who really become incented to create tools that test these systems that provide um, measurements for the outputs. And it, it's maybe more than one institution as well that does this. And you know the models around you know how the medical profession works, um, the way the airline industry works. You know I think these are ways in which we can think about this. You know, maybe the good news is it feels like, and you know, I'm sure there are areas where this is not true, but it feels like the jeopardy associated with AI is less than jeopardy of a medical procedure or flying in an aeroplane where you know people die. If you get really? the capture on the internet, it probably doesn't matter. But when it starts to get used for medical diagnosis or you know, other critical areas or the law, we really need to make sure that there's a really strong methodology here that we can understand when it's going wrong. and and protect people.
1: But isn't it a case that it isn't ever going to be that simple? Like you say, the safety is much more nuanced than when you go in an aircraft and everything has to sort of be functioning properly and there's actual real parts that you can test and check. Isn't the whole point that AI is in the background that it's already integrated into lots of systems that we kind of use on an everyday basis. And it's going to be sort of impossible to check that every stage of its usage is safe. And there's not the impetus to do so, because as you say, it's not going to be life or death. It's far more subtle than that.
0: So the systems are probabilistic. They won't necessarily get the answer right. But they're not black boxes. We can actually understand what the likelihood is of the answer that it has produced. It's actually part of the way that AI works. It's trying to give you the most likely outcomes. So it can share with you what it feels the likelihood is in these outcomes. There are Ways in which you can build that in, you know, probabilistic AI that allows you to build that in. Yes, it adds a lot of computational overhead potentially. So that adds cost uh, to these systems. And I think it's very important that these are done. You also need to make sure that the data is not being tampered in some way, you know, that the system has been trained from. So, you know, there are ways in which you can do penetration testing to check the validity and veracity of the information that the models have been trained on as well. So, you know, I think there are ways that we can do this. We shouldn't just throw our hands up and say, oh, it's too complicated. We don't understand it. Of course we understand it. We've created it. And it's not a black box. You know, we do know how it works. We created the method that it learns from. We understand the way it produces the results. We know it might not know the details of how it's come up with the individual parameters that create the outcomes, but we can see what the outcomes are, and we can measure the outcomes, and we can put systems around that that actually control it. So so I think it's wrong for people to say, you know, we can't control this. It, we need to be aware that AI is there. We need to understand that the. the, the quality of the output that it's producing for us and we need to think carefully about where it's applied so that you know when it is being used in a critical application we really understand you know okay it might be getting this wrong and we double check the answers you know our education system is wrong you know reading writing and arithmetic and i'm dyslexic and you know i recognize that two of those words are misspelled with the r's at the front um, you know it needs to be changed to curiosity building curiosity in people Building creativity in people and and building critical thinking, which is going to allow us to actually analyze, you know, because AI will help us solve a lot of problems. But we need to critically analyze it. It might produce some creative, what look like creative outcomes. But we need to judge whether they're really creative, whether they really are fit for purpose. You know, humans are still going to, it might help us as a tool to be more creative, but it's still humans that have to judge that. And we need to be incredibly curious. We need to be more curious because also what's going to happen is I I personally don't believe that humans are not going to be replaced, but some jobs will be replaced. Some jobs will be automated. Some jobs will change quite dramatically. And what we need to ensure is that in education, people are willing and able to continue to be curious throughout their life. So they go off and they train and they learn and they take, build on new skills. You know, that's going to be very critical in a world where AI is sitting next to us, in a world what we share with very powerful AI.
1: And we've talked about some huge topics here, but actually I've not seen a lot reported about what might come out in concrete terms from this conference. But one thing that is suggested might happen is a global register of the large AI models. But it's likely that that's going to be voluntary. Is that... Is there any point in that, and you know is anybody going to sign up to it if it's
0: voluntary? there's certainly understanding where the open source models are coming from and you know yeah. helping people to find those and you know making sure that there's a wide alternative. I think the risk there is we end up narrowing it down to just a small group of people who somehow you know it helps them in their business purpose if we're not careful. you know I think we need to ensure that there's a long tail of innovative new um, approaches, and and particularly, as I've mentioned, you know, some of these open source efforts, you know, really need to be ramped up. You know, businesses are starting to use, you know, some of these large language model um, and they're accessing them through an API. Are they aware that they, they or their employees might be sharing critical information, confidential information into those APIs, and they might be sharing it with these large language model systems? You know, so again, the way in which they get used, you know, can we create large language models that are more closed to specific customers or specific industries where, you know, people can use them knowing that their information is not going to leak? These are, these are things that we need to make sure are possible.
1: A lot to talk about and big challenges ahead for that summit. But let's finish by talking about AI and how it relates specifically to Graphcore. You know, you've outlined some great principles there and some kind of guiding things for how you should go about making sure this stuff is both ethically done and that it's working well for the company. So how do you apply those sort of principles to, to, to your own work that you do at Graphcore?
0: We are obviously right in the middle. Of this whole revolution. We are the sellers of the picks and shovels that make it all possible. We're not writing the algorithms that our customers are doing that. So we probably have a unique seat in terms of seeing what's happening. We probably know what's coming next because we're working with many of those innovators on things that haven't yet been released. You know, so, so we have a sort of a unique view, I think, in terms of where things are going. And I think that gives us the ability to be part of a conversation and, and to try and help and, and educate people in terms of you know, where we are, what's coming next and you know, some of the things that, that we can do. So I think that's the way we try and participate. As I say, you can definitely build some things into the AI to make it better, as I've tried to describe with some of these ways of saying, you know, what's the quality of the outputs, where are the sources, et cetera, that you can build those all in. But you cannot rely on the ai making the final decision we need to ensure that it's the humans that develop it the humans that apply it and use it they are the ones who ultimately need to be regulated and the ways in which it gets used need to be you know potentially regulated you cannot build into the machine that sort of self-control we can't build something into our processes that stop it doing bad things that would suggest that ai is sentient and you know, maybe more intelligent, more ethical than humans. And obviously that's not true because it's just following a method developed by humans. So, you know, I think it's really, it's about ensuring there's a debate and that people understand what's coming next and and try to educate in terms of where we do go next.
1: What's next for Graphcore itself? You've had some disappointing results, which you put down to softer demand for hardware sales. You're looking for new investments. You obviously lost the Microsoft deal to supply the firm with processes for its cloud computing platform. So what do you see as being the next stage for your company itself?
0: We've been very lucky in having some very close relationships with large companies um, operating in this space. We've managed to work very closely with some of the leading innovators in this space. The challenge is not actually building the processor. You know, we've built a great processor. It delivers, you know, incredible performance advantages. The key is having a complete software environment. Customers can just come and use, and it will work in all eventualities. And and by working with some of these leading innovators and leading companies, you know, we are on the path to have that. I think we're very close, and that will open the floodgates, I think, for our technology to be more broadly used and more broadly adopted. You know, the reality is today, NVIDIA, has the dominant share here, you know, almost a monopoly position, and and having alternatives, I think all of our customers, you know, are keen for us to be in that position. We're getting a lot of support and help to get there. So, you know, I think it's just an incredible um, opportunity that lies ahead. You know, the amount of money that's going to be spent on this type of hardware to build out these systems is going to be enormous. You know, bigger than the cloud investments that have been made so far. So it's just an enormous opportunity, which we're right at the centre of. Very exciting.
1: Well, right at the centre of that. And you'll be right at the centre of the summit, which looks extremely interesting. But for now, that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTN podcast. Thank you, Nigel, for joining me. Everybody listening, remember you can keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments at www.uktech.news. And of course, UKTN will be reporting directly from the summit itself. So keep an eye out for all of that coverage. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you can also get in touch with me, at Jane Wakefield, with your comments and suggestions about the show. But until next time, it's goodbye from me. This podcast is brought to you by HSBC Innovation Banking, the power behind the UK's forward thinkers, future makers, and leap takers. They're helping to ignite the bold ideas that reshape our world. Go to www.hsbcinnovationbanking.com/en-gb to find out how innovation needs different.